morning. If you haven't already, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're using the Black Pew Bibles, that's going to be on page 964. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the first little section there, verses 1 through 11. In the last few years, a uh, certain doctor by the name of Daniel Sumrock, who is the director for the Center for Addiction Sciences at the University of Tennessee Health Science Centers College of Medicine, long title, uh, introduced sort of a, a new way of thinking about what addiction is, right? This guy studies addiction all of the time. And uh, as far as I know, he's not a Christian but he sort of came up with a, a new sort of definition of what addiction is, and, and people have really kind of thought about it and looked at it and tried to understand addiction in that light. Essentially what Dr. Sumrock has said is that addiction shouldn't be thought of as being rooted in the thing to which we are addicted. The drug itself does not cause the addiction, and he wanted to convey that in this new definition. He said rather than being called addiction, it should be called ritualized, compulsive, comfort-seeking. Ritualized, compulsive, comfort-seeking. In saying this, he's saying that the root of addiction is the inner desire of our hearts to seek out comfort. Well, as I said, Dr. Sumrock is, is not a Christian that I know of. I think he's unwittingly kind of gotten at the root of part of the human condition. We seek comfort. We desire comfort in this world where things often are hard, are difficult, where there's suffering. We seek comfort. And oftentimes that leads to addiction. This ritualized, compulsive, comfort-seeking. We're broken and sim simple people desperate for comfort. We're addicted to drugs, sex, food, cell phones, Facebook, being liked, being successful in our jobs. All kind I mean, you could just name anything. Some of them are seen as more acceptable, right? Like being successful in your job, that might seem like an acceptable thing. But at the end of the day, we're seeking some sort of comfort. And the question is, Why? especially among Christians. Why are we seeking comfort in these things? Well, the reason I bring this up, and as we've read kind of some of the, the passages leading up to this, the text we're in today talks about comfort and the comfort from God, God's sovereign plan for comfort. And I think it answers this question of why we're seeking comfort and where we ought to be seeking comfort from. The Word of God gives us the answers to all things, and this is no exception. Read with me, starting in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to read straight through to verse 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in the sufferings, in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Just some quick background. We're, we're sort of hopping into the, to, uh, this book of 2 Corinthians, so I just want to give a, a quick background before we really get into the meat of what Paul is saying here. Paul is writing this letter, obviously, to the Corinthians. You can see that right at the top of, of your page there. This is, this is 2 Corinthians. Um, most people think that this is Paul's fourth letter to them. So Paul had written a first letter, then he wrote what we have as 1 Corinthians, and then he wrote another letter, and then he wrote what we have as 2 Corinthians. He had been in a lot of contact with them. He had talked to them about all kinds of troubles, um, and had, had a lot of stuff to address with the church. It is the most amount of uh, writing that we have from Paul to a church is in Corinthians. So it's obvious that, that Paul really cared about these people. He really saw a sense of ownership for the church. He really wanted to see them grow and flourish and be comforted in the midst of their struggles. He wanted to see them secured Paul had been through many struggles, and the church had been through many struggles. And I think as we seek to understand the assurance of comfort here that Paul is trying to give, it's helpful to see kind of three main ideas within this text. And I'll go ahead and list out. These are going to be the, the three main points if you want to uh, jot these down for the purpose of taking notes. The first one is we're going to see the sovereign design of comfort, the means of that comfort, and then the result of that comfort. So first, the sovereign design of comfort, and that is that comfort comes from God. Let me, let me explain first what I mean by, by sovereign in this context. We talk about sovereignty a lot. We, we talk about God being sovereign. Uh, specifically, what we're talking about here is God's control over everything, his ability to take something, as we read in, in Romans 8, and work it together right? Take, take what was intended for evil and work it for good. Take all situations and work them out for his pleasure. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about God's sovereignty here. He is completely in control of 
of this process. And this process of comfort starts with God. We see that in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, and the God of all comfort. God has a reputation for comfort. We read about it. We read in uh, Isaiah, um, just, just previously, Isaiah 66, of God talking to his people about comforting them as a mother comforting a child. We have, we have hints throughout the scriptures. In Isaiah, furthermore, in, in, in chapter 40, verse 1, God says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and hear and cry to her that her warfare has ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God's been comforting his people thereafter. They have uh, been, been punished for their turning away from him. Additionally, maybe one of the most common verses that we think of in the Old Testament when we think of comfort is Psalm 23, where we, we have the, the portion, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And there are, there are hundreds more passages that we could look at and read, specifically in the Psalms and in Isaiah, where it talks about God comforting in his tender love for his people and pouring that out for them and giving them comfort in the midst of really difficult situations. So it's clear, I think, even just in these few verses, seeing that God has a reputation of comfort. He is the source of comfort. He is the only source of comfort, our text says. He is the source of all comfort. Any comfort that lasts will be from God. I think that's, a, that's an important thing to keep in mind these days. You can seek comfort in all kinds of things. You can seek comfort in money, in ease in your life. Uh, you can seek comfort in possessions, but those aren't going to last. Those aren't coming from, from God. Only comfort that comes from God will last. If we belong to his family, we have God as our father. And he is the one who is the father of all comfort. Imagine if, well, first of all, who, everybody in here know who Jeff Bezos is? A few people, okay? There's a few people that know what's going on. Uh, Jeff Bezos is uh, he only owns, I think, 14% of Amazon. He's the founder of Amazon. But owning 14% of Amazon, uh, because we all use it, probably, uh, makes you the richest man in the world, turns out. Um, he is worth over $100 billion, which is pretty crazy. I can't even imagine that. Now think, if you were Mr. Bezos' son, if you were his child. Think of everything that you have going on right now and maybe different struggles or trials and how much having that kind of wealth, that kind of power at, at your disposal, how that would change your circumstance. I'm sure it, people commonly, even just uh, this past week, we have a, a, a Lottery, right? $1.6 billion. People across the United States have been thinking about 
okay, if I get this money, how would that change my life? What could I do with that? I mean, people think about it constantly, sitting at work, people coming to walking around talking, well, I do this, I probably wouldn't quit my job right away, I do this, you know, uh, or the other person's like, I would you know, throw this at my boss and walk out of the room, and, you know, other people have really other terrible ideas, and so it's crazy, but everybody's thinking about it. Everybody's thinking about how, if I was to get this money, how would that change my life? How would it alleviate my problems? What debt could I pay off? How much happier could I be? But you take all that wealth and you, you multiply that by infinity. And it's nothing compared to the wealth of our Heavenly Father. We serve the God who, is, who possesses all things, who is sovereign over all things, and he wants to comfort us. He wants to take care of us. Simply having money might alleviate some struggles. Simply having things might help you for a little bit. But it's not going to give you hope. No amount of money can buy hope. We see this in the world today with I mean, celebrities. You look around. Famous people, wealthy people, ending their lives, no hope. They only have stuff. They only have money. They only have fame. They don't have hope. So through God, through our Father, we have the God of all comfort, who gives us a hope that transcends, that gives us comfort, even if we don't have billions of dollars. So we see kind of in this process that this sovereign design of comfort, where this comfort comes from, is coming from God, the God of all comfort. He is the source of our comfort, our Father, that if we are in Him, if we are believers, if we are in the family of God, we have that. That's where it's coming from. It's coming from the Father. But where does it go? Next, in the, in the sovereign plan, we see that it comes from God, it comes to us, and it goes out to others. Read with me again uh, verses 4 through 7. It says, uh, talking about God, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Comfort here is something that's designed to happen in a community. So we're not just out about in the world and, and doing our own thing and receiving comfort from God, and that's good, and that's how it's all supposed to be. God certainly comforts us directly. He gives us strength as we meditate on his word, as we uh, rely on his spirit in our lives. He gives us comfort directly. But comfort here, and what Paul is talking about, is a comfort that is designed to work itself out in the community of the church. He mentions partnership here. He talks about his own suffering as resulting in consolation and salvation for the Corinthians. And I don't think we should think about this as Paul is suffering for them and somehow Paul's suffering... um, you know, they, their, their salvation is rooted in the suffering of Paul. I don't think that's what he's saying here. Rather, what Paul is getting at is that we are all identified with Christ. And as Christ's sufferings, we do receive salvation. 
And in a very real way as well, as Paul goes out and ministers the gospel of Jesus Christ, he suffers the same sufferings of Christ. And that through that suffering, through going out and preaching the gospel and suffering for it and bearing witness to Christ, that there is also suffering. And that this brings forth then consolation and salvation as that comfort comes from God. We are a body. We share in the sufferings of Christ and we share in the sufferings of one another. Paul talks about this in, in 1 Corinthians uh, in chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see how this, this kind of all comes together. This, this, suffer, this consolation comes from God and it, and it comes into God's people and through Christ then we receive comfort and we comfort one another and it's supposed to be sort of this back and forth uh, partnership with each other as we receive comfort, as we give comfort, as we share our sufferings, as we share our troubles. We share this comfort because we are one body. A question along these lines. In, in order to share in the comfort and in the sufferings of others, we have to be involved. Are you involved enough with the people around you to share in their suffering as well as in their comfort? If not, you're missing out on God's sovereign plan for comfort, the way that he's designed this all to work. This is something that's supposed to happen in, in a community, in a church. Shameless little plug for church membership. It's designed to happen within that body of committed believers who are committed to the welfare and good of one another. One of the things I hear often from people today when they're talking about their churches is just different places is I just don't feel connected. I don't feel like I really get along with everybody. I don't feel like anybody really cares. I don't feel like I can really share things with people. And maybe that's you. Or maybe you're kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum and you don't really want any of that. You'd rather just kind of come to church and, you know, do that thing and not really be involved in everybody's mess. If you fit into either one of those categories, what you're doing is, is not the design of God for suffering and for comfort. You're missing out. If you don't feel connected, if you're suffering, if all you have to bring is a load of suffering and a load of troubles, come and share it. Tell somebody. Don't just, don't just go through life bedraggled and sorrowful and always and doubting and depressed and not come and tell somebody about it. And then say you don't feel like you connect with your church. Share it. Share your sufferings that you might also share in comfort. If you're on the other, other side and, and you don't really want anything to do with the sufferings of others, well, I think you're missing out. I think you're missing out desperately on what God has designed suffering to do. See, suffering brings godliness. Suffering corrects us in being involved in the lives of others 
we see this. So, whatever kind of suffering you have, mom struggling with kids at home, barely making it through the day, bring those, bring those struggles. Talk to somebody about it. Don't feel like you're bothering people. Don't feel like you're too much of a burden or all you ever, you're, you're just needy. Don't be too prideful to share. Men struggling with trusting God or, or living pure lives or leading your family. These are not uncommon things. Share with one another. Take part in one another's lives. Share in this community together. We are united in Christ and we have a community that draws together people of all kinds of different backgrounds and different struggles and different hardships into a beautiful community for his glory. I think a, a, a quote that maybe kind of summarizes this idea of community comes from somebody that I love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is his name. Um, if you don't know who he is, he was a member of the Confessing Church in Germany during the Nazi uh, control. He was not a Nazi. He was anti-Nazi. Um, and he, he wrote a lot of books. One of them he wrote is Life Together, talking about life in the church and being involved with one another. He was uh, later killed right before the end of the war, but he wrote some, some great things. And he said, with regard to community, I have community with others, and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one thing, one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another holy and for all eternity. I love that quote. I think it, it captures the idea of this community that we have and the importance of it and the unity in Christ. Furthermore, we, so we see Paul talking about this sharing in sufferings and sharing in comfort and how when Paul suffers, he is comforted and then other people are comforted as they see Paul comforted. He's just talking about the sharing and sort of this, this relationship that's intertwined within the church. And then Paul gives an example of this sort of path of comfort in his own life in verses 8 and 9. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul is putting into practice exactly here what he preaches. He is giving them an example. He is saying, share, share in one another's sufferings. And now Paul's saying, here's... here's I don't want you to be ignorant of what's going on in my life. I don't want you to be ignorant of what has happened and how God has comforted us. So then you can take that for yourself and be comforted by it. He shares with them his suffering in Asia. We don't really know exactly what this is. It's possible that it is sort of the incident that was mentioned in Acts 19 where Paul is in Ephesus and preaching the gospel and the local uh, idol makers union gets kind of upset because work is slowing down. And uh, they, 
they're not building as many idols. They don't have as much business because people are turning away from their idols. In fact, they're getting rid of them. And they get really angry and they, they cause riots and all kinds of things. This is possibly what it's pointing to. Uh, we don't know for sure. But in any case, the point here is that Paul was to the point of death. The, the, the Greek structure here that's being used is it's sort of intensifying. It's sort of layering on top of, uh, on top of itself and giving this, this sort of great pressure and suffering and, and just this hard, hard, hard pressing upon Paul, this intense struggle that he had. And he wanted to share this with people. Paul wants to tell the Corinthians of his suffering and deliverance so that they may share in it with him. He wanted them to experience the comfort that he was given through hope in the one who raises the dead. This fact is borne out later in the letter in chapter 4, verses 11, 17, I'll read. Paul writes, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has, what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see the perspective here? Paul is given hope in the one who raises the dead. So that as he goes through his sufferings, what's the worst that can happen? They can kill him. Paul seems to be okay with that. And he's given comfort in the fact that when he comes to the point where he's struggling and people are coming to him and pushing him and pressing him from all around, he thought they'd been given the sentence of death. They were going to die. He thought whoever was with him, we were going to die. But then he's like, wait a minute, the comfort, the comfort from God is the fact that he's raised Jesus and he has promised to raise us as well. There is hope in the one who raises the dead. So that even if we do have the sentence of death, even if we are killed by all these people, what is it? It's a, it's a momentary affliction. There's an eternal weight of glory coming beyond all comparison. Paul got it. He saw the God who raises the dead, and he wanted the Corinthians to see it as well. He wanted to share this with them so that in any affliction they had then, they would be comforted, knowing of Paul's situation. Shortly before the service, when I came in here and uh, I talked to Phil, uh, I asked him how his trip went. And he talked about meeting Billy and Olga and how he felt like they really needed to have that support and that meeting. And 
just kind of struck getting ready to come up here and talk about this, about the blessing that is and just the picture that is of sharing and suffering, right? We don't just leave them out there. We don't just forget about them. We want to know what's going on so that we can pray for them, so that we can share in their suffering, and so that when they're comforted, we can glorify God because of it. It's an opportunity here, not just to help them, but for God to be glorified and for us to see his comfort. Because maybe you and I aren't suffering like they are, most likely. We're not suffering like they are, but we can take part in suffering with them. We can share in it. This is my quick advertisement. Go visit missionaries. You don't have to build a building. You don't have to do anything. Just go sit with them, pray with them, encourage them, if you can. Paul's doing exactly what he's preaching here. He's sharing with the Corinthians so that they can take part in the comfort. So we see that God has a sovereign plan for comfort. That was our, our first point. And it goes from him to us to others. All right? You get that? You see that how that works? Coming from God, the God of all comfort, to us, so that then we can then comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. We're giving that comfort then to others, sharing with them what's going on in our lives. However, there's, there's another aspect here, and that is the means of comfort. How do we get that comfort? Because not everybody in the world is comforted, right? God doesn't necessarily give comfort to everybody. Certainly, he allows people to live. He, uh, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He, he takes care of people, but he doesn't provide his comfort to everybody. So why do we as Christians get it? What is the means of our comfort? It comes from God, but why? Answer the question, Jesus. Verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I read earlier Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1, and I intentionally left off verse 3, but I'm going to read it all together now. 41 through 3 in Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Does that sound familiar? We were just there months ago, I guess now, in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. You see the connection here? You see that the comfort of God's people is intimately tied to the coming of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom? The comfort that the Israelites received in Isaiah didn't last. They were comforted for a time, 
Isaiah points forward to when someone who would come who would bring that comfort, who would bring ultimate comfort when sins had been paid. We also see in, in, in John that John the Baptist says, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world as he's preaching. This is the one who has taken our sins. As in Isaiah, the sins were paid for by the people. They suffered for them and God comforted them. Now the one who has come has taken our sins on himself and brings us comfort. You have comfort in Jesus. Another passage, I, I, just seeking to grab my mind around this and see how we can, I can best explain what's going on with the comfort from Jesus and how that comes. Honestly, the easiest way is to, to, to read. Uh, the, there's just so much out there. And so there's a longer section I want to read. If you would turn there and follow along with me, I just think it so beautifully illustrates the means of this comfort coming through Jesus. It is John chapter 15. It's on page 902 of the, of the Pew Bibles. If you will turn there with me. I just, I read this, and it's like, I could summarize it, but I, I just want to read it, so hopefully everybody's okay with reading Scripture in church. So we're going to start in fifth, John chapter 15, verses 20, and then we're going to go through 16, 7, so it's a, it's a longer section, but I think it's worth its weight in gold. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I do not come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that, I, that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, don't miss that, from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. You also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In the SV, it translates this word helper. Uh, 
referring to the Holy Spirit here. Other translations say comforter. Either one is fine. Essentially what Jesus is talking about, and I, I wanted to stress the helper, the comforter coming from God, that when Jesus comes, when the kingdom is inaugurated, what comes with that? Ultimate comfort. This is why the world isn't comforted. This is why we're comforted. Because if we believe in Jesus, if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, if he has truly borne our guilt, if he has paid our sins, then we have comfort. We have comfort that has come from the Father. Jesus himself saying this here. Do not be mistaken. If you are comforted in your suffering, it is because of Jesus. It is only because of him. It's not something you need to attain to. It's not something you need to earn. It's something that is given freely. Both sorrow and comfort are God's design. The one who bore our sorrows has also brought comfort. Jesus being intimately acquainted with our sorrows, with our suffering, has come and through his death on the cross brought us comfort through the Spirit. So our suffering comes from Jesus. It comes from God, but it comes by Jesus. Through him we receive comfort. So in this sovereign plan, we see sort of the path, right, coming from God. We're sort of building on this as we go. It's coming from God by the means of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to us and to others that then we might comfort one another. The final step in this process is borne out in, in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you turn back there with me. Paul says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. So what is the result here? The result of comfort. All this comfort happens, God's sovereign plan, working everything out, giving us the comfort and sovereignly working it through our lives and in control of everything, all of our sorrows, all of our sufferings, that we then can share it with other people and build one another up and encourage one another through the Holy Spirit, not only in me, but also through you. The Holy Spirit working through the lives, the hearts of the believers in the church, building one another up. What's the result of that? Simply, the result of all of this happening within the church is praise. The result of this comfort is that in our partnership with each other, in suffering and in comfort, we are given a front row seat to the work of God and are led to give thanks for his work. We see what's going on in the lives of others. We get a view into their lives and we see God working. 
when I pray for somebody, when I, when I am invested, talking maybe again about our, our, our missionaries, if I am praying for them and I know their sorrows and I know what they're going through because I've asked them, I've talked to them, I've gotten word from people who have seen them and then I'm praying for them, then when I see that suffering is alleviated or that that suffering is brought forth fruit, how much more am I going to praise the Lord? Because I have been intimately a part of that. I have been partnering with them so that that thanksgiving then abounds because we're partnering with them. So if we're not doing this, we're missing out on worship. If you say, I don't need comfort, well, you need to worship God. Comfort one another. Be involved. It leads to worship. From beginning to end, God's sovereign plan is sure. He comforts us through Christ that we might comfort others and so that we may ultimately give thanks to him. The more involved we are with others, the more acutely we know their lives, the more beautifully we see God's glory. We see his mercy and we see his grace that maybe he isn't displaying to us directly in our lives, that he's displaying in the lives of others as they suffer. So, in conclusion, just as some possible application and maybe some encouragement I think we can get from this text. If you are suffering right now, come to church, talk to people, share with one another, Find comfort in God. If you're not comforting, if you're not suffering, share your comfort with others. Share how God has gotten you through suffering, how God has gotten you through struggles. Maybe you're in a situation where your life's pretty good. Maybe you're in a situation where that bothers you. Right? Because we're not supposed to have comfortable lives, right? We're, we're followers of Jesus. We're supposed to suffer. We're supposed to experience persecution. We're supposed to, we're not supposed to have lives of ease. Yet my life's pretty easy. I would say most of us, our lives are pretty easy. And I think this can, this can lead to sort of this introspection and this desire to find suffering or to, to create it or something like that. It, you don't need to do that. You don't create suffering. Don't seek suffering. Share in it. If you want to suffer the sufferings of Christ for his sake, join with somebody who is. Join with somebody who is. We're in a u- unique position, as privileged as we are, to share abundantly in the sufferings of others, to share in the joy and the mercy of God as he comforts them as well. When the church takes part in this sovereign plan of suffering, the saints are encouraged, the church is built, and God is glorified. It is the perfect plan. See that? See how God's sovereignty works? 
regardless of suffering, regardless of death, regardless of comfort, whatever happens, Paul mentions this. It is for your consolation, regardless of what happens. And God is working it all together within the church for his good. As we read in, in Romans 8 prior to the message, and Paul, a little bit towards the end, sort of has a conclusion. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given him a gift that it might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things, including suffering, including comfort. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray.